And that's what we've been learning together these past few weeks. We've been talking about giving and receiving. We call it living open-handed. There's this open-handed approach to knowing God. And talked about a number of different things. I won't recap all of it. We talked about the, the golden promise, and it's this idea of, of not the golden rule, but, but knowing that what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you, that he's a good father. He's, it pleases him when we approach him with faith and expectation. Talked about the seed principle, how little things can become big things. And I hope you understand that the seed principle is much bigger than just talking about giving and receiving. It's talking about like the, the things we let in our life, the things that we plant, like all of those are seeds. And, and to see life that way. Or last week, we talked about what happens when I put God first. And as we continue this today in week four of our series, I want us to look together at a passage of scripture found in the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And for context, this letter was written from a prison cell. Now, we, we don't know what prison or where exactly Paul was at, and, and maybe that's inconsequential because what's really fascinating is the fact that even though we know that this was written from a prison cell, the content of this letter is dripping with joy and gratitude. That's kind of surprising. It's a little bit counterintuitive to think that you can have joy in a jail cell. Or to know that even if you've lost your job, you can still trust God as your provider. Even if you're single right now, to realize that you're not alone. Like all of those things are in this book of Philippians. But the part that I want to look at today is at the very end of his letter. And what's fascinating is when Paul puts this in his letter to the Philippian church, it, it almost shows up as an afterthought. Like... He writes this letter, he expresses thanks for the things they've done, he states the things that he wants them to know, he's all wrapped up, it's like, finally, here's everything, oh, and then it's like, this one last thing, you need to know this, I forgot to mention this. It, it's an afterthought. In fact, I almost called this message Thanksgiving Leftovers, <laughs> because so much of the book Philippians is about him giving thanks for their partnership, giving thanks for how they prayed for him, how they supported him, and it's like, oh, but... I forgot to tell you about this thing. It's a, it's a powerful PS. And I don't just mean that in the letter writing term of a postscript. I mean, it's a powerful perspective shift. It's a perspective shift. In fact, the way he writes about his appreciation for them and this principle that he's going to share, many theologians and scholars have referred to this section of the book of Philippians as one of the gems of literature. So I want us to look at it together. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I'm reading from the ESV translation, if you want to follow along. You can put the words on the screen and we'll follow along together. But uh, also, if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to download the Bible on your phone. It's the best way to engage with God's Word. And uh, You really can't grow the way God wants you to grow if you don't engage with His Word on a regular basis. And I've just found the easiest way for me to do that is to have it on my phone, because I always have my phone on me, and this is the little pro tip, this is the tip you don't get anywhere else. If you will move your social media apps or whatever app you use to the back of your phone and put your Bible app where that social media app was, you will be on the Bible so much. 
Just muscle memory your thumb going there. So I encourage you to do that. But let's look at this together. Philippians 4.10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. And I read this this week, and it just got me thinking about Thanksgiving. Like, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and being hungry. Sounds like he's at the Thanksgiving table. But he says, I've also learned the secret of facing abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. I love that. Because see, Paul's idea of partnership was very clear. He wasn't just asking people to give, to meet a need. He wasn't just asking people to give, to make a difference. He wasn't just asking people to give, to honor God, or to help somebody else. He says, when I started this, no other church entered into this partnership of giving and receiving. He's not just talking about they gave and they received from his ministry. He, he sets it up in the next few verses. He's talking about your giving unlocks something to receive from God. It's this idea of what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. And he explains it in the next verse. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. So you did it once, and then you did it again, and this wasn't just a one-time thing for you. You got hold of this. I'm not saying this, not that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I want you to be fruitful. Another translator says, I I want God to increase your resources. I I want you to receive from God in this. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Notice this now, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So they sent, see Paul was in prison they sent some money for his legal defense because he's at this point thinking that uh, he's going to be executed. He's hoping to see them, but they sent some money for his legal defense. And he says, I've received it. And you thought you were helping me. You thought you were meeting a need, but you need to understand what you did was pleasing to God. What you did was an offering, a sweet-smelling sacrifice. It was pleasing to Jesus. Verse 19 says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that one more time for emphasis. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I want to use this passage to talk to you about a need to know. A need to know. Have you ever used that phrase before, a need to know? It's kind of funny to me, it's almost ironic, because we use that phrase (laughs) whenever there is something that we don't want somebody to know. (laughs) It's a need to know, meaning you don't need to know. Speaking from experience here, because 
recently my wife and I have been discussing our holiday plans, not just Thanksgiving, but Christmas coming up. And this is kind of a weird weekend because I don't know if you're supposed to say like Happy Thanksgiving or if you start Merry Christmas. How many of you are on the Merry Christmas side already? Let's be honest, you're on the Merry Christmas side after Halloween. <laughs> How many of you are still like, it's still Thanksgiving weekend? Yeah, all right, you're my people. So it's like we were discussing our holiday plans and we were, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. There, there's a lot of family to see. There, there's multiple family members. There's some stuff going on with uh, Marissa's grandpa. We want to make sure that he's included, and we're, we're trying to figure all this out. On top of it, um, just be real with you, I don't really want to stay with my in-laws. And um, this is like a thing in our family, and I try to explain to them, I am a 40-year-old man. Uh, I can make my own decisions. Like, I will get a hotel room. I love you. I just don't want to stay at your house. Uh, who's with me on that? Okay, yeah, thank you. All right, I hope they're watching. I hope you're watching this right now. So we're having this discussion of all these, all these, you know, things that we have to take into consideration. And one of my children, who shall remain nameless because I don't want to embarrass him, but his initials are Oliver Jenkins. <laughs> he pipes up and he says, well, I have an idea. And he starts interjecting what he thinks we should do. And in that moment, I felt something come over me. It was not the Holy Spirit, but... I felt something come over me. I said, kid, I don't need your opinion. I don't need your suggestions. I don't need you to give me your input or your interjections. This is a need-to-know conversation. And you don't need to know what we're talking about. Uh, a need-to-know, it's, it's a phrase used in situations whenever someone is not going to learn all of the details. And yet, its very use implies that there is some other information involved that is pertinent to the discussion. It's a need to know. I don't know about you, but I've noticed in my relationship with God, He often communicates with me on a need to know basis. Have you ever realized that? Some of you are laughing, it's like, yes, this is the definition of our relationship. But I, I want to shift it a little bit because I, I don't just mean that God is God and I'm not, and there's some things that he knows that I'm not going to know, some things he knows I'm never going to know, at least on this side of eternity, not until I get to eternity will I see the full picture. I, I don't mean that because I think most of us get the fact Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 talks about, and the Lord says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You know the distance, the span between earth and heaven? That's how different my thoughts are than your thoughts, and how different my ways are than your ways. I think most of us get the fact that there are some things I'm not going to know. When I say God communicates with me on a need-to-know basis, here's what I mean. I mean there is an aspect of knowing God that can only be understood in the context of need. See, my heart for this series, the whole genesis of this, is that you would know God. I want you to know God the way I've gotten to know God. I want you to know God as a good father. I want you to know God as a provider. I want you to know his character. I want you to know him 
as your source. I want you to know that you can go to him when you have a need. I want you to know that he loves you. I want you to know that he will take care of you. I want you to know that you can trust him. I want you to know God. And yet I've found that some of the only ways you can really know God is in the context of a need. I I want you to look to God for what you need. Where we can say, God, I'm giving to you and I'm trusting you that you will meet my needs. That's part of why this offering is so important. The offering, our open-handed offering that we kicked off last weekend. And it was, if you missed it, it was a really powerful moment for me personally. I thought it was powerful in our church where we worshiped, we gave. I asked everybody to take an envelope, even if you weren't giving that day or had already given, and just write down what you're believing God for. That's, that's the powerful part for me. What you're believing God for. And I asked our team, I said, hey, I want you to make sure you save those envelopes because I'm, it's important to me. I want to pray over them. So I think it's important. It's not just important. I think it's holy. It's sacred. It's important to God. I had them save me. Those envelopes are on my desk. I'm going through them. I prayed over each one, left them on my desk so I could pray over them throughout the week. And man, it's powerful to see what people are believing God for. People believe in God for the salvation of family members. People believe in God for restoration in a relationship, in a marriage. People believe in God for a breakthrough, for wisdom in their business. They've got something going on there. People believe in God for all sorts of different things. There's financial needs, there's wisdom, there are all sorts of different things. And I'm going through and I'm, I'm praying. People believe in God for healing. Sacred, sacred things. And I'm going through, and I notice like some of the envelopes are blank. I don't mean like, like blank, like they, they didn't put down what they're believing God for. And not even just that, like I, I connected with some people in the, in the lobby and they were so excited telling me about this series and what it's meant to them and how heard from God and God has spoke to them clearly about what they're supposed to give and they were excited about the offering they were sharing all this with me and I, I said oh that man that's great I love that tell me what do you believe in God for and I'm like ah, struggled with that part and, and I'm not saying that to put guilt or, or shame condemnation on anybody because if that's you I get it I get it like sometimes I don't know what I need. Anybody ever been there? Like, I know I have needs. I just don't know how to articulate what I need. Like, sometimes when I'm, I'm sick, Marissa likes to play doctor. Not like that. I mean, like, she'll, she'll come to me, and she's like, hey, what do you need? Like, what, what, what's wrong? What's, what kind of medicine can I get you? And I'm like, I don't know what I need. I need the medicine that works. Just get it all for me. I'll just keep trying it till we find something. Like, I don't know what I need. I know what it's like to not be able to articulate what you need. So there's, there's no shame, no con- I, I get that. On the other hand, I think sometimes that there's those of us that, well, we, we almost act like we don't have any needs. And, and at first, I almost thought that's where Paul was going in this passage because when he starts out, 
you got to read the Bible. You got to put yourself in it. You, you got to kind of see it from different angles. Because the way Paul's writing this, I almost saw it like this, where he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. So it's kind of like, hey, I got your gift, finally. I know you wanted to do something. I, I know you, you meant to remember my birthday. Hey, don't worry, I'm good. All right, like I'm good. It's all good. It kind of seems like that's what he's doing at first, but that's not what he's really doing. Because we've all met people that, well, you can't really connect with them because they're too afraid to show any weakness. Too, too afraid to, like, ever let their guard down, right? This is why you, you can't be confused by people's smiles sometimes. Some of you, I wish you would smile more, honestly. But you can't always be confused at people's, because some people, like, I mean, they just, it's just their face, right? They just smile. All the, they just have resting, blessed face. I, I wish, you know, more of us had it. This is bone structure. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the people that try to cover stuff up, right? They, 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 they've learned to cover stuff, and it seems like that's what Paul's doing. Like, hey, I'm good, but that's not what he's doing. Look, he goes on. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. He's trying to help them with something. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, this is the part that caught my attention because, like, I know I need to learn to be content when I don't have a lot. But what I didn't realize is I also need to learn a secret when I'm facing abundance. Did you see that? I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. The secret of facing abundance and need. See, a, a lot of us are only familiar with the lack of too little. We, we've never even considered that there can be a problem with plenty. And Paul says, I've, I've learned the secret to both. Now, one thing you need to know is it doesn't matter what season you're in. Whether you find yourself in a season right now called little, or whether you find yourself in a season called a lot. Whatever season you're in right now, what you need to know is that both situations still have a need. Paul's describing this spectrum of experience. He says, on one side, there's shortage. On another side, there's surplus. And the thing that stuck out to me first is he says, this is something that he learned. In other words, he wasn't born this way. This wasn't like just the natural disposition that he was gifted with. He had to go to school for this. He, he had to learn from the school of life. This is, I talked about last week, some things can't be explained, they just have to be experienced. Paul says, I have learned this by experience. Yeah, I just got to tell, like when I think of Paul, 
I don't generally think of somebody who was just content with the status quo. Paul's a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He took the gospel to the known world at the time. He was never satisfied with just, hey, this is good enough. In fact, in the chapter right before this, Philippians 4 and Philippians 3, he describes his disposition. He says, I was so zealous in my drive to excel, in my drive to move things forward, in in my drive to make things happen. I was so zealous for this, I lost sight of the stuff that really mattered. So he's sharing a secret he had to learn. Paul's saying, I learned this by experience. And that's good news for everybody in the room. Because whether you see yourself facing a shortage or whether you consider yourself in surplus right now, it means regardless of where you are, there's something that God wants to teach you today. Now, before I tell you what Paul learned, let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned that in both of these situations, there's a problem. I've noticed in lack, many times the problem you have is stress or shame. It's kind of funny to think that lack would cause shame, but the way it works is we think, man, I am not doing this well. Everybody else seems to have their act together. What's wrong with me? That's why Jesus always connected money to the heart. See, it's a much bigger issue than just your skills. When you're in a season called lack, you feel stress or shame, but when you're in abundance, you have a different kind of problem. And that problem is called sufficiency. I know it sounds weird to say that sufficiency is a problem, but let me explain it to you. It's this weird thing where you have the ability to do what you want to do. You have a desire, you can fill it. You have an objective, generally you can meet it. And the problem is, this begins to edge God out. Because now, our security, our significance, and our satisfaction are in our surplus. This is why Jesus always connected money to our hearts. See, you recognize that this affects our heart in profound ways. In fact, when you look at Jesus, he didn't just connect money to our hearts. He took it one step further. That's what Jesus always did, by the way. He's like, hey, you know this? I'm going to go this far. I'm just going to take a little further than what you thought. Because he framed the way we interact with money the same way we interact with God. I'll just give you the reference. You can look this one up for yourself. It's in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I'm just trying to set this up to say that Paul found himself in both of these situations. Understand, it's not too little is better, and it's not too much is better. We covered this the first week. There's, there's people in both camps that say, well, this is what it looks like to honor God. And sometimes they'll say, um, they'll use Jesus, you know, like Jesus, he didn't have a lot, so you shouldn't have a lot, should be like Jesus. Well, Jesus lived a very focused life. I mean, he didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of stuff because he was on mission. And I think if you want to live a very focused life, then go for it. There's other people who would say, man, if you've got a lot, 
then that's a mark of spiritual maturity because like you've learned how to receive from God and you know God's promises blessing and hey that's could be true I mean it's definitely there's spiritual people that are blessed but what I'm trying to say is one is not better than the other there, there's righteous people without much there's unrighteous people without much there's righteous people with a lot there's unrighteous people with a lot you can't that that's not the measurement and Paul's saying I've been in both of these there's a problem with both of these and, and he Paul if you look at his life he had some high highs and some some low lows truthfully I'm sure there's many people here who can relate reality is everybody starts somewhere and I would imagine for most of us in the room majority of us we started with very little I'm sure there are some people in the room you started with very little and you started the business and you remember you remember what it was like doing everything you could in your power just to get that thing off the ground you remember those days now you're in a season called abundance and Paul says you need to know there's a challenge to both in fact the ESV translation that we're looking from I like the way it says it because it helped me see it in any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need in other words not like pitting these against each other said I have faced the situation of having abundance and being in need because whatever side you find yourself you still have a need now I used to think the secret that Paul was talking about was contentment but contentment's not the secret contentment is the byproduct of his secret and really his secret is not a secret since we're in a series called open-handed I would call it an open secret because he shares what the secret is in the very next verse this is what it is verse 13 he says I can do all things through him talking about Christ who strengthens me Paul's secret was his dependence on Christ his dependence on God his dependence on Jesus because at the center of both issues whether it's a little or a lot whether it's a shortage or a surplus at the center of both of these things is a trust issue a trust issue see when you're dependent on Christ within you you can be independent of the circumstances around you because your situation isn't what determines your satisfaction it's a trust issue when I lack I'm learning to trust God with my fear when I'm in abundance I'm learning to trust God with my desire when I'm in lack God if you don't come through I don't know how this is going to go out for me I don't know what's going to happen when I'm in abundance God if I honor you I might be miserable I've got a pretty cush life right now I don't know that I want to go in that far I don't know what you're going to ask you might want me to go be a missionary somewhere and I kind of like living in America when you're in abundance is can you trust God with your desires but whatever side you find yourself you still have a need and what I hope you see today 
is that whenever you have a need, it's so you can know God in a new way. It's a need to know. To know Him more personally. To know Him more intimately. If you need peace, it's so you can know God as the Prince of Peace. If you need healing, it's so you can know God as the Great Physician. If you need rest, it's so you can know God as Comforter. If you need help, it's so you can know God as your helper. If, if you need protection, it's so you can know God as your strength and your shield. If you need freedom from something in your life, it's so you can know God as your deliverer. If you need hope, it's so you can know God as victorious in whatever situation you're facing. Whatever you need, it's a need to know him more. One of the things I get to do, and I'm grateful for this, is I, I get the opportunity to coach a lot of church planners. And it's meaningful to me because when we started this church, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any relationships. I didn't have people I could pick up the phone and ask a question to. We had to figure a lot of stuff out on our own. And so I'm really grateful that I get to talk to church planners who are just starting out and uh, trying to give as much time to it as I can. And in this process, uh, lots of times they'll say, what did you do in this scenario? And what did you do? And how did you get from this point to this point? But there's this idea, and sometimes they'll come here, and we'll, we, even, we hosted a while back, we hosted, I think, like, I don't know, probably 50 pastors and teams uh, just a few weeks ago. That's what you do. Isn't that awesome that you get to invest in other leaders and other churches? So we, we were doing that, and uh, they'll kind of ask, like, okay, how did you get from here to there? And the implication is, it's like, okay, well, now you're at this point, you're probably past that. Now, you're probably past some of those other problems. And what I think they're always shocked to hear is that I've never gotten to a point where I could stop living by faith. I've never made it to this place where I didn't have to trust God. Never made it to this place where I didn't have to believe God. In fact, there's some things where it, honestly, it requires more faith now than it did when I started because you grow. And, and I'm setting this up to say that you are never going to make it to this point where you don't need faith. We looked at this the first week. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You, you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? You're going to have to be in this place of expectation that God is going to come through. And I'm, I'm trying to help some people today who think, that walking with God means he's going to eliminate needs in your life. God is not going to remove needs from your life because your needs are the means by which you're going to know him. That's why Paul said, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Didn't say he's going to remove your needs. He says he's going to supply your needs. Following Jesus doesn't mean you stop having needs in your life. It just means you know the source. You know the source. Since this is Thanksgiving weekend, all of you wishing Merry Christmas are wrong. I thought I'd tell you a little Thanksgiving story. Not a Thanksgiving story, but a story of giving thanks. 
I'm going to have some guys help me with the illustration here, but uh, at our house, I, I've taught our kids a few things when we eat a meal. We always pray over the food. Part of our prayer, we thank God for the food. We ask Him to bless it. But then I also taught them to thank Mom. We say, thank you, God. We say, thank you, Mom. Why? Because we want them to know that God doesn't just meet our needs, but He uses people to meet our needs. So we say, thank you, God, for this food. We say, thank you, Mom, for making this food. But when we go out to eat, my wife has taught them something else. We pray over the food, but at the end of our meal, Marissa has taught them to say, thank you, Dad. And one time, we did this, and one of my kids had the audacity to work up the nerve and say, why are we thanking Dad? He didn't do anything. He didn't cook the food. He didn't even bring it out to us. And after I spanked him, I said, boy, you got to learn this lesson. They wouldn't have brought it if I wouldn't have bought it. There's a difference between the supply and the source. God wants you to know the source. And I bring that up. I told you an illustration about Thanksgiving. Now let me tell you an illustration about Black Friday. Because I think most of us have a Black Friday mentality. Now, if you're into Black Friday, more power to you. Go for it. No shame, condemnation on you. Go get a deal. Go make it happen. I just think you're crazy. <laughs> but a lot of us have this view. We view the world through a Black Friday mentality. And it is, like, Black Friday is the most ironic thing to me. It really is. Because <laughs> it comes right after the day where we have just spent the day giving thanks for everything we have. And then we wake up early the next morning to beat people so we can get what we don't have. Okay, shame off you, okay? But here's the Black Friday mentality. It's this idea of supply and demand. There is only so many deals out there. There are only so many opportunities out there. There is only so much resource out there. There is only so much blessing out there. There's only so many TVs at that price. There's only so many doorbusters. There's only so much to go around. Supply and demand. It's like this. And this applies to you whether you're in a season called little or a season called a lot. Supply demand. There's only so much. So anytime somebody gets something, it's like, man, there's something I'm not getting. Somebody gets something, it's like, yeah, that's, I hope there's going to be left, enough left for me. And it's like, okay, now there's only a little bit, there's only a little bit left. Supply and demand. God wants you to have a different perspective. Instead of seeing things through the lens of supply and demand. I want you to see things through the lens 
of source and supply. We're doing baptisms today, right? <laughs> source. I'm going to look for people who were asleep while I was preaching. <laughs> Not taking notes. Definitely the people in the back. Source and supply. This applies to you whether you're in a season called little or a lot. Because if you're in a season called, and this is on, by the way. All right. If you're in a season called little, I know the source. If you're in a season called a lot, I'm not the source. I'm not the source. And whatever season you're in, you need to know God as your source. It is a need to know. And you can't know it without a need. That's why it's so important that you approach this season with what you're believing God for. Trust God to meet your needs. Whatever it is. Do you really think it's too big for God? It's amazing to me that most of us can trust God with our eternal salvation, but not trust Him with our temporary situation. Whatever it is you need, you need to know God as your source. Because to be really free is to know that God knows what you need and He's got it.